All right, welcome back to a bonus episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to uh, release some of the archive that we found from when we were the sci-fi shenanigans. Uh, we're going to get those up there for for the posts that were brought down. We thought you might enjoy them. Um, and so without further ado, let us, uh, let us roll that beautiful... Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions. A place where the sky's the limit, space is a place, and nerds run the world. And without further ado... All right, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. Today, as our special guest, we have the one, the only, Dave Robeson. Yay! Woo-hoo! All right. All right. <laughs> so, Dave is a creative genius. He's equal parts genius muse and audio narrating ph- phenom. He's got a voice like James Earl Jones and a face for radio with a friendly personality <laughs> to hide his grotesque addiction to pineapple pizza. He's narrated <laughs> books for J. Daniel Sawyer, egged on the shenanigans that started this podcast and others like it. <clears throat> DRS. <clears throat> Sorry, something <laughs> in my throat. Overall, every author is better for men like Dave in the world. And uh, so for introductions, since you didn't have an Amazon page to steal, did we get it right? <laughs> you did. Uh, although there is absolutely no documented proof about my unhealthy addiction to pineapple pizza. You cannot prove that. It's uh, a perfectly but, uh, healthy issue. <laughs> you guys are all there heathens. Is, there is- there is also yeah. the uh, the Archivos Podcast Network, uh, which is currently on hiatus, but that is definitely a part of my curriculum vitae. Uh, uh, and, and we have uh, literally like 150 story brainstorms in the archive with such individuals as Alethea Contis and uh, uh, oh, Renee Heber and uh, oh, so many amazing uh, authors uh, helping younger writers uh, brainstorm their story ideas. So, so I, I highly recommend that as well and we will get I have all not heard of this me either we will get all these links and put them in the show notes to your listener and uh yes. you will be able to gorge yourself on audio goodness <laughs> mm-hmm. all right so the second part of the introduction dear listener is how we found them so as i mentioned earlier i actually found dave through the uh, dead robot society and their facebook group uh terry talks about him all the time uh, and he was, like we said, he's a fun and friendly guy, as you can tell. Uh, so when we started this podcast, we looked for reasons to have him on because he's not writing science fiction. Although you, you should, really. Take all I, should. I, really should. I mean, in all your copious spare time. Uh, right, right, exactly. Right. So, so that's how I found him. And the rest, as they say, is history. But what about you, Chris? Uh, I actually found him when they were they were actually talking about Archivos. But I didn't realize he, he did the commercial for... Oh, who was that? J. Daniel um, Sawyer's uh, The J. Daring Do. Hilarious. Swab oh, Rob. Yes. Uh, hilarious commercial. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I just put it together a few minutes ago. I was like, <laughs> it's actually familiar. I mean, have I listened to him that much? Oh no! It was that commercial, right? So, so I have the I have the regular version and I have the clean version of that commercial. 
Depending on the episode. Rob, there's always two versions. Yes, absolutely. Great. Great commercial. What about you, Siska? Um, honestly, you guys were like, Hey, take a look at this stuff. So I did. And, but when I've been doing some research about audiobooks, and so it kind of paired up well. Yeah, okay. definitely. I've, 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 I've got a, I've got a presence in that narration community. So, so yeah, Siska is the uh, resident reader in the group. Who's uh, a fan of all things nerdly. So we, we, we brought her on for a different perspective. So, so whenever we want to know, is this too author related or, or what? Like we let her take a look and make the judgment. Well, I, I do organize and herd fans somewhat professionally. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is a professional, professional full-time job to be sure. Uh, just ask Dragon Con. <laughs> now, if only they paid her. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that would Are be you awesome. listening? All right. <laughs> <laughs> the Dragon Con. <laughs> All right, Dave. So the first question is a religion question. Okay. And I have my mouse over the kick button. Star Wars, <laughs> Star Trek, or Firefly? Well, uh, it, it would honestly, you know, looking back on the continuum of my life, it would depend on when you asked that question. But because you're asking it right now, I must say it is Firefly. All right. That is, that is my one true you're faith. It. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. And and that's that's only because you're making me choose. I normally don't. I will I will dance happily from from Star Trek to Star Wars to Firefly and back again like a nimble nerd river dancer. Oh, I so, like him. So what I he's saying, <laughs> so what he's saying is he's uh he's literally and cinematically polyamorous. Polyamorous, yes. <laughs> poly genreist, yes, absolutely. Uh, that's awesome. All right, so what? So, Dave, what do you love about science fiction as a genre overall? Overall, honestly, it's it's the capability of taking what is known and postulating that "what if" aspect to things. And and honestly, I mean, you can do that in any genre. Even literary fiction posits a "what if," but the scope and depth of science fiction's ability to take any aspect of culture, society, science, and technology, certainly. And then stretching that out, you know, generations, centuries, millennia, and building and expanding on what could be based on that one single known thing. I I think that more than anything else makes science fiction not only relevant, but vital to the growth and and evolution of, of culture and society. Is there any one example of that that stands out to you? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, uh, David Brin, pretty much everything David Brin has done uh, uh, is, is I, in my estimation, a brilliant example of that. He's he's very comfortable in near future uh, uh, writing. Uh, I remember a book he read, he wrote uh, called Earth, which was a basically a, a war between uh, manufactured black holes uh, uh, that were being moved through the core of the earth somehow. And it's like, you know, I read it once and was just utterly blown away. But, you know, jumping ahead 50 years with the accelerated rate of, of technological advancement and with the internet basically putting fast forward on everything in terms of popular and cultural opinion and perspective, uh, it, it gets very difficult to jump ahead a short distance 
uh, and still feel like you're you're on solid ground. David Brin does that. So I, I would have to say he's probably the best uh, uh, example I have of that type of what-if extrapolation. Do you uh, ever read any nonfiction? Uh, I'm thinking someone like Michio Kaku. I found him on Curiosity Stream and um, a lot of the documentary type stuff that deal with space. Um, and I'll throw his links in the show notes. But he does a lot of writing on near future and like predictions of where we're going to be. And uh, if you- I, I haven't, and I want to. I now I now I'm going to click that show note link. That sounds awesome. So he actually, in his book about the near future, like where he thinks we'll be in a hundred years, like takes everything that Star Trek and Star Wars took two hundred. How well, actually, I guess in Star Wars, it's in the distant past. But you know, he takes all that idea <laughs> of where technology will be, and it takes everything, and you're like, hey, you think that's it? That's cute. <laughs> You're adorable. <laughs> I, I, I actually uh, the the nonfiction reading I end up doing is like Kurtzweiler's, you know, how to make a brain uh, and trying to understand how uh, a cognitive processes work. Uh, and and of course that immediately jumps us into the whole AI conversation, which is a whole separate podcast altogether. Um, they had a but, um, uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. They say they had a really good. Um, book on it's Audible exclusive that I got one. If you're the member, you get the fr- two free a month or whatever about actually okay. studying the brain uh, of soccer players for traumatic brain injury. That was was fascinating. If you if you if you yeah, like studying the brain, well, the old the old cool. timers used to the balls were were a lot heavier. They were like solid leather, and then add water to the mix if it's raining. Yeah, Ooh. there's a there's a physics <laughs> professor at KSU who's studying helmets and traumatic brain injury. And she's physics, so it's kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. So I will, I will throw the Michio Kaku in the show notes. He is up there with Elon Musk that we've tried to get on the show, but restraining orders were <laughs> issued. Um, <laughs> 500 feet. Uh, apparently drones count now. I don't know what the cops in L.A. were thinking, but whatever. Damn it. California <laughs> thinking what? <laughs> All right, Christine. Hey, social myself. commentary. <laughs> All right, Dave. So, uh, what's your first memory of reading, watching, or playing games in the science fiction genre? Oh God. This, okay, I I need to give you some backstory on this. My dad went to uh, uh, studied medicine at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and uh, we lived on married student housing. So, uh, uh, had this massive cadre, this, this posse of kids from all of the parents who were going to school there and were all in married student housing. And I remember very definitively, uh, uh, one of the mothers, cause of course we were a gang of kids moving from, you know, parent to parent to entertain us in the summertime. And one of the parents had given us the whole, um, paper bag puppet, uh, uh, project to work on. And, Concurrent to this, uh, parents were always throwing us comic books uh, uh, to read. And I remember very definitively, we had gotten a hold of a Fantastic Four comic book. And so we had created little paper bag, you know, paper lunch bag puppets of the Fantastic Four, me and my friend. Mm. And and we were, you know, flailing them around, playing. And again, I'm like five or six years old at this point. Uh, uh, and and we're sitting here and, and you know, I'm saying, no, no, they can't fly. And of course, we open a page to one point where the 
Fantastic Four is in space floating because there's no gravity. And my friend points to and says, she's flying there. And it's like, oh, yeah. Okay. So she says electric power and then she can fly. So, you know, kids making crap up as they, as they <laughs> go. But I, I mean, that memory is still crystal clear in my mind as the first engagement with science fiction-y concepts of being in orbit and floating in space. And of course, you know, superheroes and Fantastic Four, but uh, uh, that would be, that would be my first real cogent blush with science fiction uh, as, a, as, a, as a five or six-year-old child. Women in wow. science, I'm always game for. Heck yeah. All right. So to head to level of science fiction, go to you working professionally in the creative industries. That's honestly, I can't, I can't, I can't point to any one thing. Uh, uh, as, as, a, as a creative professional, my love of, of science fiction and fantasy and role, I mean, the whole speculative medium. Uh, uh, that, that just in, I mean, that's religion, you know, you asked your religion question. That is a religion. That is something that literally colors every perspective of your waking hour. So, uh, I, I, I can't point to any one single thing, although I will say it's, it's probably very telling that when my professional career, uh, uh, started moving in a direction that actually made sense to me, it was in computers. Uh, so, you know, you can't, you can't, be, I don't think I don't think you can be in computers without having at least a peripheral awareness. And certainly for me, it was, you know, I'm ready to make HAL 2000. Let's do that thing. Let's make <laughs> artificial intelligence. Yeah. Right. Uh, but in the meantime, I'll content myself with a JavaScript do loop or whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm laughing. My mom was a computer security analyst in the early 80s and is very fond of the nuke Mars approach. So. <laughs> and, and a huge influence into what got me into science fiction. There you go. And I guess that's another cool thing about science fiction is that there are more frequent intersections with contemporary life uh, uh, in, in, you know, an analog correlation between this thing in science fiction and this thing that we bump into every day. So it's a lot more tangible, I guess, in your life on a daily basis. Okay. Right. So I I take the... um take an axe to it approach. So I guess I should be writing fantasy at that rate with the CSA or with, with computers. It's like it no worky. Let's hit it with an axe. Oh, that didn't work. Let's hit it again. Except I will say this one. And we've, we've noticed this before. There is a large tendency to, uh, of science fiction authors, particularly to have horrible computer skills. <laughs> I once asked my I've mother about it. that and she goes, that's why they write science fiction. They're writing the computers that they want, what the way they want them to work. <laughs> that's it. It's um, control issues. Well, I mean, like Anne McCaffrey never referred to an attachment as an attachment. She referred to it as a paper clip. Um, <laughs> uh, I think jo- Jody Ellen nine will be the, she who writes science fiction. She'll be the first one to tell you she can keep tech going past long past when it should do, be done and she didn't transfer to a pc until her editor was like her publisher went no and called her husband was like go get her one i'm done with this <laughs> so yeah well and it, it's interesting that you know a lot of these 
you know, these veterans, these icons of science fiction, uh, uh, were, were creating their stories before this whole technology phenomenon that has, that has so dominated, uh, our species well, of late, you know, yeah. as the next generation rolls in, you know, as Mike Cole rolls in or, or, uh, Sam Sykes or any of these much well, younger authors who grew up with this tech. I mean, Heinlein I didn't that, have AIs. Uh, right. had, had AIs. And McCaffrey uh, had the Arvis compute, Arvis, I think is the name of it, uh, on the Pern. And her degree was, she wasn't even a scientist. Her degree was in uh, Slavic languages, <laughs> which is why I can never pronounce anything in her books, I think. <laughs> and it is very embarrassing when you have been publicly scolded by, by her for not pronouncing things right. Well, and I she think that really nice about it, it though. <laughs> More than anything, I think that is the benefit of audiobooks uh, to to the genre, uh, to the speculative genre, is being able to ensure that you've got correct pronunciation of pern or pern or what the heck ever. And, unless yeah. the narrator pronounces it wrong. There, there's a Galaxy's Edge book. It's the Iron Wolves where the intro, they announce the authors and they pronounce Jason Onspock's name wrong. <laughs> Oh, jeez. <laughs> Ouch. That's going to be mine if there's ever an audiobook with my name in it. That's going to be mine. They're not going to say my name right. Well, and that, that'll be your fault because as an author, you now need to include a pronunciation guide for your narrators. I don't write. Yep. She, she's, I convinced her to write a short well. story in the uh, Storming Area 51 anthology I'm doing. <laughs> yes. And I keep looking at him and he knows when I'm working on it because I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but she doesn't mean it. She doesn't. It mean was it. a long time coming. Well, I say it the same. I say it in the same way I say "damn you" to my brothers. Does that count? Sure. It's with love. <laughs> yeah, you know, pretty much. Army medic. Damn you to eternal torment and dormant and damnation with love. Our army medic. The you know, the sympathy is somewhere in there. It's a like it's a word in my vocabulary. Fair All enough. right. <laughs> Next question, Cisco. Save you from yourself. Please. I've been trying for years. What's the single largest influence on your creative work? Is there anything you've always enjoyed or tried to emulate? Um, oh, um, that's I'm I, I'm crap at these types of questions. Uh, I, I tend to I tend to be a very much in the moment. Uh, kind of nerd uh, uh, and and asking questions about my roots really it, they're great questions because they make you really kind of assess where you're coming from what you're building your foundations on I know there are authors who are able to cut through the trope of their genre uh, uh, and and ground these fantastical tales, science fiction or fantasy or whatever, uh, uh, in, in their worlds, you know, I thinking like Joss Whedon, for example, you know, Firefly, that was a brilliant mashup of, of genres. And another author along those lines is Guy Gavriel K, uh, who, you know, doesn't write sci-fi. I will, I will just grant you that right now. His is more historical fiction and historical fantasy, but again, uh, imminently relatable, uh, and and very much any you anybody throw genre that, in a blender. And, yeah, throw genre in a blender and and get past your jaded uh, genre reader walls and make you actually care and connect with the story and the characters, and of course the two are intertwined. Um, but uh, in in a way that you don't get. 
all that often. I mean, the things that really stand out for us, I think, in in our, our media consumption are those things that simultaneously fulfill our expectations of a story and utterly defy them at the same time. It really <laughs> seems like an ultimate paradox, but I, I think fundamentally uh, that's the line that that all storytellers are are walking as they as they try and tell a story that's relatable and and connects to to the their danger audience. of that is is as you try to do that, some people throw in twists just to have them. And you end up as a reader, like throwing yes. the book or the Kindle or the phone or whatever, or in Cessa's case, what is it? The Nook. You end up throwing it across the room, and I love my Nook. Be nice about it. Throwing it across the room, and it <laughs> smashes into a million pieces because it's like, no, why? Just because you can't. I have why never thrown my Nook. <laughs> For the record, I have thrown many a phone. Never my Nook. I love all right, my Barnes and Noble. If you want to sponsor the show, we're listening. All right. So, <laughs> so I guess basically, in a nutshell, you're saying that you're the sum of all of the parts and works that you've read and experienced. Honestly, yeah, I, that's so. A good way I, to put the it tricky up. part of that is sometimes you don't even know because you're influenced by the influences of the people that influenced you, and it adds layers like an onion. Exactly. It's like it's like putting two mirrors together and trying to find out where the first root core image is. Exactly. Exactly. And and that really kind of it it, it frustrates me because I un- I like to understand root causes. I think understanding that fundamental why of something is probably the most profound bit of wisdom that anybody can can bring into their life is is understanding why you like something or why something uh gets your heart pounding and and makes you click the the play button enthusiastically uh understanding that is is the key to unlocking a lot both about yourself as a person and as a storyteller i think interesting Wow. I bet that's why winders like that too. I think maybe it's something that makes you like computers makes is it, I wonder if there's a corollary there, but, but all right. It. So we're going to transition before I sound more like a complete moron uh, away from the creative side. And let's talk <laughs> about things with you uh, from a fan angle. So have you ever produced any cool fan art or cosplayed any of your favorite characters? I have not. Honestly, I, I as as much of an advocate of, uh, of fan fiction uh, as as I am, and I truly deeply am. I think it's a wonderful thing. It's a great training uh, ground I, for some of the best authors I've seen. Out of the it really off. is. It absolutely yeah. is, and and it, it gives you the the training wheels of an established world and allows you to play through the various storytelling techniques without having to build everything from whole cloth. I I, I greatly support it. That said, I've never actually uh, uh, crafted other than those little paper paper bag puppets when I was six years old of the Fantastic Four. Uh, I can honestly say uh, my appreciation and engagement with fan properties has always been very much as an audience member and a consumer. Uh, I've always wanted to create something that was uniquely me. And I, that's another, that's something, see, I'm going to have to go ahead and hit the therapist's couch again and find out why that is exactly. <laughs> All right, Seska, the next question is yours. One number, question. number 11. Sorry, I was listening. It's not in pink, it's 11. by the way. It's, it's 11. not a color. Have you, <laughs> have you accosted your favorite author for an autograph out in public, away from conventions or a regular book signing event? Actually, I, I have not. 
because uh, uh, back in 2012, when I started the what was then called the Roundtable Podcast, uh, I, I pretty much decided that my goal was to have every author I ever nerded and geeked about on that show as a guest host. And have you done that? Uh, say what? And have you done it? I have. I absolutely have. It started with, uh, uh, God, uh, Nathan Lowell and Mer Lafferty. Uh, I got them on, uh, Alistair Stewart, uh, who was at the time the, the host of pseudopod, uh, and now has risen to becoming one of the, uh, uh, directors, leaders of, of the entire escape artist podcast series. Um, God, I interviewed Patrick Rothfuss. Give um, uh, JR notes on how to get these people to like talk to him because he loves to talk to them. (laughs) Well, and it turns out they really like to talk. Uh, I, I, you know, initially there was a a dread terror of approaching somebody of the magnitude of like Mike Cole. Oh my God, Mike Cole. I couldn't possibly uh, uh, think he's going to make time for my puny little podcast. Wrong. These people love to engage and talk about their craft. Which Mike Uh, Cole? There's two authors that I know of named Mike Cole. Uh, this this is uh, Mike Cole, the historian, uh, uh, the the military fantasy author, uh, the historic uh, the military author. Yeah, that's the guy. No, he loves to talk about himself. Uh, he he loves to talk in general, uh, uh, and if you tell him he loves to talk about himself, he'll agree, but he'll be bashful. He'll be shy about it. <laughs> So, <laughs> so yes, I have tracked down uh, uh, every author that I, you know, not certainly not every because there's far too many authors and not enough podcast hours. Uh, but yes, I, I do that. I did that on a regular basis for five years running and it, it was delightful. Is the podcast and, still and up for people to go back and listen? It absolutely is. Uh, uh, if you go, yeah, we can put that in the show notes. But yeah, uh, the, the full archive uh, remains up there and accessible. So what's your weirdest and funniest interaction story since you started being working in the creative field? <laughs> I it was it was an event uh must have been 2 years ago at Gen Con. Uh and of course every there's a hundred weird and funny things but this one is the one that stands out in my mind. I was sitting in front of one of the hotels across from the convention center uh, uh at Gen Con in Indianapolis. And as you do in the, in the throes of something of the magnitude of Gen Con, you just disengage and collect yourself for a little while. Otherwise, your head explodes. I don't know and what you're talking about. <laughs> no, of course you don't. Dragon Con is nothing like that at all. I'm yeah. sure it's a completely ordered and mannered process from top to bottom. No, no. I just I, I actually have to get kidnapped and sent to my room because otherwise I never go. My <laughs> yes. friend comes up and is like, go now or I'm going to make you eat an MRE and <laughs> yes, your eyes are are dancing, vibrating in your skull. Uh, Go I take got a break. two hours of sleep on average last year. <laughs> Good lord! And, and you're proud of that, aren't you? That, that's an achievement. Yes, I thought I was going to get none. <laughs> so last year was my—I'm a director, and last year was my first year. So ah, well, no, I understand that. I understand that. So I was—I was sitting. Uh, uh, it was—I think it was the the Weston, uh, right across the street from Gen Con, and I look up the street. And the sidewalk is empty except for one figure moving toward me in the hot summer sun of Indianapolis. And this is not uncommon or unusual. And I look away and I look back 
and things, synapses connected in my brain. And I realized that Patrick Rothfuss was walking towards me on a sidewalk in a street in Indianapolis. And of course, I was sitting right next to the entrance and he wasn't walking towards me. He was walking towards the Westin because they have the fabulous writer's symposium in the Westin and it's awesome. And air conditioning. Um, and air conditioning, right. And, and he was sweaty and very human. And I just, for the longest time, I just marveled at having somebody so uh, uh, renowned in my circle. You know, I, I greatly admire him as, as a writer and a human being. He's, he's a a great interview and, and a, and a superb author. And just having this person walk towards me was this incredible, uh, uh, juxtaposition of, you know, fanboy squee and mundane reality crashing together, uh, in my face. And, and, you know, he nodded, I nodded and, and I didn't embarrass myself and he went into the <laughs> weapon. And that is a moment that will forever, uh, linger in my in my awareness as an opportunity to realize that these people are human. Uh, there's nothing more human than walking down a hot summer street uh, uh, at Gen Con. Uh, and there it was. It was right there. Wow. <clears throat> All right. Well, before we get into the next part of the uh, interview, dear listener, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly show for the man. Well, hello, all you beautiful chicks and dudes of all sorts. This is Suave Rob Suarez, the double X daredevil star of Suave Rob's amazing saving association here with another saving tip totally free from me to you to help you save your so you can live to sit another day. Now, back in the day when dudes were dudes, this one dude, Benchmark Bob, buddy of mine, he had this little accident. He tried frying up an egg when he was totally hammered. So he washed a pan, then didn't dry it, then put a load of butter in it, then turned on the heat. Well, when you do that, chicks and dudes, the water makes the oil go splatso all over your own personal face. And good old Benchmark got his bench marked, if you know what I mean. Like, when he took his apron away from his face, it looked less like a face and more like someone had stepped on a pepperoni pizza. I don't like to think about it. But that goes to show you, you know? Always dry your pans before you put oil in them, man. Especially if you're frying an egg. Want to know where I learned all this gonzo sh- I got it all done up pretty for you in Suave Rob's Double X Daring Do, the first book of Suave Rob's Awesome Adventures by J. Daniel Sawyer. Come share the awesomeness with me, my brothers, because you never know. The ass you save may be your own. All right. Welcome back. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. Um, This is the part. uh, We're still here with Dave Robinson, the creative genius. Uh, this is the part where, where in the interview, I normally list the millions of things the author interviewee has written, but Dave isn't an author. So instead, we're going to talk a little bit about his narration experiences. So other than J. Daniel Sawyer, what all have you narrated? Oh, that's that's a long and distinguished list, my man. Um, uh, I, I have narrated for most of the audio, many of the audio fiction podcasts out there, certainly Escape Pod, Pseudopod, Podcastle. Uh, Tales to Terrify, Starship Sofa, The Drabble Cast, uh, The Way of the Buffalo. Uh, I, 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 can, I, I can, without 
uh, uh, shame or reservation say I have narrated over 50 stories uh, in recent years for various audio fiction podcasts. I've also narrated uh, the Sand Divers novel for oh, Tim. Tim. I can't remember his last name. This is horrible. Um, uh, but he wrote a, a, a series uh, ba- that was fan fiction, basically based on Hugh Howey's Sand uh, novels. And uh, narrated his book for in the sand diver series um honestly there are those that stand out certainly and and i'd like to showcase two of them if i may absolutely Uh, one of them is matt wallace's sunday which was podcast on uh podcastle and this this was many years ago uh uh and it continues to be one of the shining jewels of, uh, uh, of of narration in my humble estimation, because Matt gave a story of such heart and 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 beauty in terms of its telling uh, that it was it was a narrator's wet dream to to be given a story like this with so much heart, so much uh, uh, emotional range and and depth. Uh, the challenge then becomes for a narrator to make sure you do that justice. And uh, I feel like I did. Uh, and it was, it's a beautiful story. I highly recommend it. The other one was for Tales to Terrify. And this was a horror tale by Laird Barron uh, called Frontier Death Song. And this is a, a, a novel about the wild hunt uh, in modern day. And it, you know, if, you, if you've ever read Lord, if you haven't read Lord Barron, fix that. The, the man is is a storyteller par excellence, and he will creep you out uh, uh, in ways you didn't know you could be creeped out. Uh, and and this story was was just marvelous uh, uh, in terms of its evocative imagery uh, uh, and the dialogue between you know the protagonist who's who's trying to run from the wild hunt and the the, the huntsman himself when they meet at a truck stop. Oh God. Uh, to this day, I think about it and I go, oh, I, just, I love putting those words out into the world. Uh, uh, so those, those two in particular stand out to me. And, and I will, I will say you know, Suave Rob continues to be one of those, uh, stories that I just, I, I talk to Dan all the time and, uh, he's actually, I have Suave Rob too sitting on my, on my iPad waiting for me to go in and start narrating uh, uh, the second <laughs> yes. novel. Yes. <laughs> um, but I tell, I tell Dan that with Suave Rob, and it's kind of scary because Suave Rob's kind of out there, but with, with certain stories, you need to get into the emotional and headspace of the story so that your voice comes from an authentic place and tells the story faithfully. With Suave Rob, there was none of that. <laughs> Literally, as soon as I'm reading, oh, I get this. I totally get this. First thing out of my mouth, bam, connected. And it's like Suave Rob, like, like Dan was in my head uh, saying, what does Dave really need to uh, a voice at this point in his life? And oh, it's Suave Rob. And there it is. Uh, so for whatever reason, there's something away, the way the way Dan writes and the way he writes Suave Rob in particular is just like, I, I can do these in one take or two takes. It's that natural a connection for me. Okay. So how did you first get into narrating? That's a, oh, well, I'm a theater major. 
duh. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't obvious. Uh, so there's that foundational um, skill set and perception and understanding of the dramatization of a story. Uh, so that's, you know, that's baked into my, into my wiring as it were. Um, and I got into the narration thing in, in recently, I, th- I think it came, it happened through, uh, the podcast. Uh, I put the podcast out there and, and up until then, before I put out that first round table, you know, I, 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 I don't, I, I've never had a problem hearing my voice. You know, I know people talk about, you know, I don't want to listen to a recording of my voice. I sound terrible. It's like, I don't, I sound fabulous and I know it. I know. Right. I, 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 that has never been an issue for me, but I honestly never occurred to me that there was a, a, a way to put that to use uh, uh, in, in that context. Um, and uh, was it Tony Smith from Starship Sofa? Uh, gave me uh, a nod to narrate one of the stories. It was either for Starship Sofa or for Tales to Terrify, one of the two. Um, and, you know, he took a chance on me because I had never done this before. Uh, and and I said, sure, I'll give it a try. And, you know, <laughs> that, as they say, is that. Uh, uh, once once I realized I could do it and how much I enjoyed it, uh, uh, it was it – was, just a natural fit. And at that point I, I overcame any, any shyness about presenting myself to uh, various podcast producers. And once you have a body of work, even just one piece that you can point to and say, yes, I've done this before. Go listen to this. At that point, you, you are in a much better position to, to offer your services and have that offer be taken up. So nice. other than Suave Rob, which you mentioned you're going to do the second book for, do you think you're going to do more audio or does your current project keep you busy? It's I, – I know there there will there will be more narration. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I mean it, so it, it's it's, awesome. it's it's interesting. It's, it's – first of all, I, I enjoy it and I feel like I'm good at it. So I have something to bring to the conversation. Uh, so that that's always a rare and wonderful gift. Um, but uh, more than that, uh, there's 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 a joy there's a joy in being a part of that storytelling process. I mean, without yeah. a doubt, uh, uh, the author is the star of that show. Without those words, uh, a narrator can't do anything. Uh, but I feel genuinely uh, honored that I have the opportunity. I recently narrated uh, Sarah Pinsker's uh, story, The Court Magician, for uh, this podcastle. Uh, and that story uh, got nominated for, I think, a British Fantasy Award recently. Uh, nice. And, and I feel like, <laughs> and this, this is, this is I, I'm not a part of that process, but I get to at least participate in it. Uh, uh, and and be a storyteller with these other storytellers, and I, I I just I feel very privileged that I have that opportunity to to play in that sandbox and and help tell stories, these marvelous stories that authors are putting out there. So yeah, there there will totally be uh, more narration uh, until my voice becomes uh, a dry, raspy husk. <laughs> okay, next question is yours, Siska. That's. That's awesome and outstanding. Um, 
which I know is redundant. Okay, <laughs> but on to your other great adventures. How does your muse present itself on other things? <sighs> other things? Rephrase the question. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Um, JR wrote it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, for instance, do you uh, do you practice fine art, and do you have uh, a giant four by three foot picture of Captain Kirk above your mantle? Say, do you make any really good crown based desserts? <laughs> wow! It. It had, you you are off my Christmas list. <laughs> I played it. It says thirty seven minutes. <laughs> All right. I understand the question now, and and uh, honestly, uh, a short list is where it doesn't present itself because I, you know, if you if you think about it, your muse manifests everywhere. But specifically, I would say my muse manifests uh, in cooking. Uh, I do so enjoy every night. Uh, uh, we do we do um, Blue Apron, you know, the, the the food service where they deliver the ingredients. Uh, oh yeah. But it's all raw. It's all pre-measured. You have to do some prep, and then you have to do the cooking, and the end product is hopefully uh, uh, edible, if not fabulous. You still have to do the. And I, I've been doing this for like, oh, easily four years, I think, three or four years uh, since they first came out, and I love it. There's, you know, we throw on some. I've got a, a Frank Sinatra Pandora station uh, queued up. So we throw that on the, the music player and man, we're, we're swinging on a star while I'm chopping up zucchini and grinding up this and prepping the steaks and the sauces and the things. And it's, it's like, I get to be, you know, Emeril for 45 minutes a night, uh, uh, and really explore the, the science of, an art of, of blending things with heat and oil and sugar and stuff. Uh, so that, that's probably definitely one of my strongest, uh, uh, and, and most unconventional muse expressions, uh, in my life would be my, wow. Cooking. You make it sound like a ballet and I'm really impressed. I cook and I bake, but I'm like, I feel like it's more like a science experiment. You make it sound like going to the, uh, but science is your, th there is science. What? Science is your opera though. So I think you're saying the same thing. I love science. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. I mean, you're, you're speaking through a thing. Uh, uh, and, and anytime, you know, there's the thing, whether it's science or a hammer or a pencil and paper, there's that thing that you're working with. And that might be science. It might be literature, whatever. But when you use a thing to speak with, to speak through that thing and create something uniquely yours, that's art. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, JR. The, the science is her opera. That is the, the medium through which she expresses her creative self. So that's totally art. The two are not mutually exclusive. Yeah, cooking is not it for me. If my wife wasn't a good cook, we'd be having like uh, those microwave dinners. <laughs> which healthy <laughs> choice tonight? <laughs> With which hamburger helper are we going to put together, sweetie? Did you actually yeah. like the MREs in the army? No, no, but healthy <laughs> choice. Uh, the the cafe steamer meals or whatever; those are delicious. <laughs> All right, so let's transition to the real reason we had you on the show. Uh, let's talk about Archivos. Why don't you give us a Reader's Digest version of what it is and what it does? 
Absolutely. Ah, so, okay, calm down, Dave. Just give him, give him the short version. Okay. <laughs> Archivos is, is a, a writing, uh, a story development and story presentation tool. It basically allows you to see your story worlds the way you think about your story worlds. And that was one of the biggest reasons why I started creating it because wikis and uh, uh, you know, word documents and all these things, they're great at recording the data, but they're absolute crap at being able to show you how that data connects and interrelates. And that's how you think about this stuff. Any story that you love, you don't think about, you know, just Aragorn or just, you know, Rivendell. It's the people that were there and the things that happened with that. And it's this massive mosaic. And I, I wanted to create a tool that allowed people to see that mosaic so that the stories that they told would have a clearer uh, presence in their mind and in their hearts as they move through the creative process. That's what Archivos is. Okay. Uh, well, how'd you get involved in this project? Was it years from the beginning or collaboration? Oh, yeah. No, that was, this has always been mine. No, nobody, nobody would do this with me. This was, this was, this was, this was crazy madcap uh, uh, inspiration. It's like, what the heck, let's do this. But it's, it's been around in my head for easily a decade, if not longer. Uh, I remember very distinctly uh, at one point I was thinking about how this would work. And I stumbled across a thing called the visual thesaurus. Which is, you know, if you look up Visual Thesaurus on Google, uh, it's this this in app, you know, in br a browser app built in, I think, Flash, uh, where you enter in a word, and the word pops up as this little red dot in the middle of your screen, and then in spokes off of that red dot are all the synonyms for that word. And then in little spokes off of those dots are all the synonyms for those words. So you got this sense of linguistic continuity from this core idea of a word to all of these synonymous words. And I thought that was brilliant. What a fabulous way to see at a glance the, the, the full context of the word that you're exploring. And it dawned on me very quickly. It's like, holy crap, this would work for stories. In fact, this is the way stories work in our brains. Uh, uh, and at that point, it, I think I, I wouldn't have said it at the moment, but at that point, it was pretty much inevitable that somehow, some way, Archivos was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> and, and over time, and with lots of time and investment, not only on my part but on a, a great many other developers' parts, we've uh, we've we've started to bring that vision to fruition through the Archivos that you can see now out on the internet. Wow, where was this thing awesome. all my life? So when I uh, right <laughs> in my head. Sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah, when, when I first saw this program, it was angled towards authors to help them uh, keep track of their worlds and and not have to go back and, and look through you know dozens of of notebooks or maybe something that accidentally got thrown away. The MZB, sorry fans, dark over letter. <laughs> right, but um, how is it used being used by non-authors? Well, and that's that's the I think the you've actually hit on the biggest challenge we have right now with Archivos is that yes, you're right. We actually presented this thing initially for writers and for gamers as well. I mean, very very clearly storytellers uh, uh, of one sort or another. Yeah, my brother looked um, over my shoulder and he's like, "I'm gonna have to look into that because he he's a fabulous DM and 
Yeah, so. absolutely. I, I run my game. You know, my, my game is built into Archivos and I run it through that because you can share it with your players then. And the players have this record of their adventures and where they took place and what they found there. Uh, so it's a great way to affirm that that backstory and continuity. That's a lot of advice my brother. He, he likes But stories. honestly, educators. <laughs> He's like, well, if you didn't take notes, it's your fault. Um, educators and teachers can use this because really history is just a story that actually happened. Uh, uh, and we actually have uh, the American Revolution uh, as an Archivo story setting up in our story catalog that you can look at. But any historical era is comprised of events perpetuated by people at locations. Uh, and that's, you know, those are the three core story elements that Archivos allows you to document and then connect. So education, certainly. JR, local history. Genealogy, you know, uh, family trees oh, and family wow. stories, right? Oh, son of so a gun. I, I didn't think about that. I figured this was yeah. a shoe in for, for RPGs. And since sci-fi <laughs> RPGs are very much a part of our target audience as well, and what we'll be doing more interviews with, with some of those creators, we're already working on, on lining that up. So I, I thought about that angle, but I didn't even think about it from, from like the education. Although I will, I will say some of the historical yeah. stories, if you put them in your novels, people will be like, no, that's too unrealistic. That's a bridge too far. I actually... <laughs> That, that I actually had one of my uh, yeah. editors for, for a scene in the, the Sleeping Legion series I wrote in Tim Taylor's universe, and it's something that actually happened to me, and he goes, no one's going to believe that could happen. Take that out. <laughs> Here's the Wikipedia article, dude. <laughs> so I, I like that, the, the educational needs. I would have never thought about that. That's brilliant. Well, but each and each of those industries has, you know, stepping away from the creative inspired software developer to the entrepreneur who needs to market and present this stuff to a demographic. Each of those has their own discrete silo and, and, and marketing strategy and framework. I can't market to all of those people at once because. You know, one one educator coming in and seeing all the gaming stuff is going to go, oh, no, this is not for me. This is not for educators. So our challenge is narrowing our focus initially, as we have with writers and gamers, uh, uh, and then building these separate discrete Archivos entities specifically tailored towards supporting the education community or creating APIs that can be plugged into Ancestry.com, for example. So, well, I do it's, know it's that challenge. people are using RPGs to teach uh, people on the spectrum um, how to emote. So that could be an absolutely with with the RPGs that already exist. Yeah, there are whole articles about it. My uh, kids, both of my kids are on the spectrum. They actually suggested we start a family game night to teach them like appropriate social boundaries. The trick is, because I've talked to a, a counselor that actually runs a game up in New York, um, and he was telling me the trick is, is you have to set the rules from the beginning because the last thing you want to do is to teach someone who's very literal how to break the rules. So you got to teach them, these are the rules, but then you have to stick to them. Well, and, and I don't mean to imply that an educator would see that there was a role-playing game application and be turned off by it. Uh, uh, clearly, there are uses of, of role-playing in the education sector, and they're growing. But uh, I've also spent about 20 years of my life in developing educational software, online educational software for school districts and so on. And I, I can tell you that that industry uh, moves very slowly. Uh, and and while there is some very cool stuff being done creatively, uh, it has taken 
literally decades for that level of adoption and appreciation to become manifest and public. Uh, uh, it is a very slow industry to innovate. Uh, so moving in that, we did very definitely want to because we think that we, it, we would be able to improve the, 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 the tasks of teachers to educate students. Uh, but we also need to accept the fact that it's not going to happen in a year or in five years, probably closer to 10. So we need to adopt that much longer view. Well, and I think that's probably why, um, you know, it just marketing it, making it a more obvious application for them. Yes. It help, yes. helps guide them. Kind of, you know, well, guide you know, we get a grassroots following. So yeah, 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 absolutely. So normally we talk about book reviews, but this isn't really a book. And uh, <laughs> so. Okay. So um, this. Have, please, have, it's, you know, sorry. I'm sorry. Once you get her talking about I'm RPGs, talking it's like her about. mind goes a million miles a minute and she forgets where she is sometimes. It's okay. So, so. Normally, this is the part, dear listener, where we talk about reviews, except this is Archivos. It isn't a book. However, I will say, as usual, please remember to rate and share all the your literary love. Reviews help the right readers find the right books. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. And also let us know what you think about this episode. Absolutely. So instead, let's talk about reviews of your uh, your own product, Archivos. So how do you want the product to be viewed or uh, or thought of by your clients, users? I'm not sure the proper term there. Readers is it really it? Uh, we'll go with subscribers. Subscribers would be the the word that I tend to lean towards more than anything else. Um, and and honestly, I I want I want it to be a tool that inspires new a new appreciation for a story, whether it's a story that you're writing, and Archivos allows you to see a pattern that you didn't realize was there until you saw it laid out in the story web or, or on the living map. Or, you know, there are many stories uh, uh, which are basically like visual wikis up on our story catalog for like Supernatural or the King Killer Chronicles or the Game of Thrones uh, series. All of those are up there and being able to uh, on, on a person by person basis, drill through and explore and follow a path through those narratives in a way that is useful or inspiring or, or re revelatory. That's a word. Uh, to you as as a as a consumer of tales uh, or a teller of tales, that's my ultimate hope. Is is that by showing you these structures and these patterns that the Archivos display modes offer you, that you discover something new that increases your your delight in a thing that you're creating or or enjoying. So, can you actually no, measure? Cisco, wait, wait, one. You're, you're stealing all the questions. Thanks. Calm down. Calm down. All right. So be, before we move on, so you mentioned that, you know, your target demographic is, you know, uh, authors and then DMs, which is the fan angle that we were going for, uh, potentially using this for gaming. So, mm -hmm. you know, there is a subscription fee. So, you know, obviously that costs money. So we'll say in a hypothetical scenario, player A, DMA subscribes to this and then they realize, holy crap, I ran out of money. So they have to stop for a while. Does that uh, data stay on your website? Is there any way to export it so they don't lose it? Because when you talk tech, losing what you've built is always a concern. Oh, God, yes. No, excellent question. Um, and first of all, there are three levels of subscription to Archivos. The basic subscription is free and always will be. Uh, and that will give you one private story setting 
that you can have fill with as many story elements as you want. So if you're writing the, the great American novel, you don't have to pay a dime and get the Archivos experience of being able to document and link story elements. Um, the subsequent subscription levels of personal and professional uh, uh, are uh, at this point they're they're six bucks a month for personal and eight bucks a month for professional. And what those allow you is uh, uh, the ability with personal to have unlimited story settings. So you can create a hundred thousand. Every every character can have his own backstory, story setting. Every country, every events, uh, era, epoch, whatever. You can just fill your story web with as many stories as you want. Um, and then with professional, you can start sharing those publicly or uh, uh, collaborate with your peers in one story setting so you can all work in the same one. Now, um, in terms of cost, uh, in order to collaborate and have that sharing, either private sharing or public with your players, only one person needs to have an Archivos subscription. Uh, so one person needs a professional subscription, probably the GM. Uh, uh, but after that, everybody else only needs per, uh, a basic subscription. As long as you have a basic subscription, you can participate in collaborations and private sharings and so on and so forth. So we try to keep the cost down that way. Um, if you decide that you can't do that uh, uh, and you want to go from professional back down to basic, um, that's fine. Uh, basic allows you one story setting, so you'll be asked which story setting you want to keep. Uh, the others are not accessible, but we hold on to them for several months, and I would need to check with my devs to find out exactly how long we do that. Uh, but at least three months, uh, we don't delete anything, uh, so that will be held on to. But as you ask, can you export? Yes, you can. Uh, every story setting, you have the opportunity to export it into an Excel a spreadsheet that gives you all the data and all the documentation. We don't export the graphics and the images and the media files that you upload, uh, but the actual raw data itself is absolutely exported. And we're actually working to make those exports prettier uh, so you can actually like export to an attractive PDF and have something tangible that you can hand to somebody proudly. Um, we're looking at being able to export from Archivos into Scrivener or into fictionary.com and other story formats. So the data that you can work with and build in Archivos can then be used in these other environments. Uh, we're also working towards importing stuff. So you can export from Scrivener and import into Archivos. So, uh, but as of right now, the answer is always yes, you can export everything that you got at any time. And even if you scale back to the basic account, you still have that one story setting that you will always have and will hold on to your other settings for at least three months. Uh, uh, and if you reactivate your personal professional subscription, it will come back. So say they had to backtrack to the free and they export it to Excel, which is what you can do right now. And then in six months, they come back. Can they re-upload from that Excel doc back into it or would they have to rebuild it? This is going to be a very carefully answered question. In six months, yes, they probably will. <laughs> but right now, no, okay. unfortunately, uh, we don't we don't have the import feature in place yet, uh, but it is high on our development roadmap uh, to be able to export and import 
uh, from Archivos, so you can you know create duplicate settings for for example. I will say, dear dear listener, if you're thinking about this, as far as uh, tools go, uh, the Archivos and the uh, Publishers Rocket, which are both run by creative peoples, uh, f- as far as their help desk goes, you always get someone answers. So I- I'm pretty sure if you had a unique question to you, you could probably reach out and they'd answer you pretty quickly and work with you. So like I know some people have had subscriptions, they've had to pause because they deployed or whatever uh you know yep. or life happens if if you have individual cases i'm pretty sure uh dave's people would would work with you absolutely absolutely yeah we are we are still a very young company with a very uh let's call it intimate user base and we're able to provide uh, uh, uh that kind of uh, uh personalized service and we're happy to uh because really every user you know and you guys have also been very marvelous in offering your feedback or your insights it would be cool if it did this i'm having a problem with this and we're always happy to receive that feedback and also to to fix whatever may be broken <laughs> so i have another technical question um are there any plans in the future to to offer analytics of any kind? Like uh, when you when you make public your Archivos story on your website to see what people do with with it, what mm. they click on. Sure, absolutely. Um, and and the short answer to that is, oh my god, yes. Uh, the slightly longer answer is that has always been something that I feel Archivos needs. Uh, not, not just the, the sort of like the Google analytics metrics of how are people engaging with my public story setting, which would be incredibly valuable because then you could see, you know, God, they keep, they keep going to this character or this event. Uh, uh, and that uh, gives you useful data as a, as the author to find out where your fans are, are spinning, uh, in, in your story world. Yeah. But even more importantly, I, I want to be able to show you, uh, uh, the n- more information about the story that you're writing and entering into Archivos. Uh, you know, we want to add metrics like how many relationships does this story element have? Uh, because technically uh, the story elements that have the most connections, the most relationships, uh, those should be the most important things uh, 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 in your story. And if you as the writer see, oh, God, this thing that I thought was vitally important doesn't have nearly as many connections as I thought, that's an opportunity for you to fine-tune your story. That type of information, I think, is is vital for a storyteller. We definitely want to enhance that uh, aspect as well in Archivos, and we will in, in coming months and years. So, Siska, cool. before, before you ask your next two questions, I have a question for him that I just thought of. So, say a fan of, we'll say Galaxy's Edge, because I, I wrote in that one, and I'm absolutely mm-hmm. uber fanboy. Let's say a fan makes this Archivos setting for the Galaxy's Edge universe, and okay. you've got layers of stuff that happens in a story that's a uh, universe that's flushed out with, like, three spinoff series and a crap ton of books. Is there any way <laughs> to say tier your system so that way people can find what they're looking for as it happens without spoiling themselves? Or is it sort of a user beware approach? Is there any way to do that? At this, at this point, it's a user beware approach. Uh, however, uh, you are not the first person, nor will you be the last, uh, that that w- would like to be able to gate or filter the content of an Archivos setting for people that don't want to be spoiled or people that want the full story. How do you do that? Um, we do have 
features currently in Archivos that allow you to hide story elements from public displays, but they still show up in your author display. Mm-hmm. So if there's content that you want to hold back, but you need it because it's part of the story you're telling, you can hide those story elements and they won't show up in any public presentation, but you'll have access to them as the author. Uh, features that we want to develop along the way uh, is the ability to apply a, 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 a like a global filter uh, to, you know, non-spoilery and spoilery and you as this the the archivos creator then would flag certain content as one or the other and then the filter would show just one or the other oh that'd be cool (laughs) (laughs) okay uh next next one is you cisco i would know i'm paying attention (laughs) Um, (laughs) so is there anything we didn't ask that you want to Talk about involving Archivos or other stuff. I abs. One thing that I do want to uh, explore just a little bit is uh, some of the things that are coming down the pipe for Archivos, um, because this this project, the, the 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 feature set, the the summary doc that I submitted to the first development company that I that I invited to create Archivos was probably about three quarters of an inch thick. Uh, and fraught with all of this stuff that I wanted to have happen. Uh, and they very prudently told me, dude, chill. <laughs> Let's dial this way back. Uh, I've, I've got a development roadmap that's going to take us well into 2025. Um, but I did want to point out that the very next thing, the next big thing that we're going to roll out in terms of a functional uh, addition to the to the to the app to the framework, is the ability to create custom story elements and custom relationships. So right now, you get what we give you as far as the story element types that you can define, and it's a fairly comprehensive list: people, places, events organizations, disciplines, items, blah, 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 locations. And and that works, I think. We found that, that that while it's a very generic story element list, element type list, it works. But inevitably, people say, you know, I really wish there was a creature story element type, or I wish there was a vehicle story element type, or whatever. Uh, and then, of course, those story element types would have a different relationship connectivity to other story element types. We are currently mapping out how you as the subscriber will be able to create a completely unique custom set of story element types and the relationships between them so that you can make Archivos exactly what you need it to be. Wow. So I keep thinking this in terms of, you know, sci-fi with some of the many uh, sci-fi RPGs that are out there since we're looking at things from the fan angle, as we've said, ad nauseum. And I just keep thinking if there was a way or for sci-fi authors, because we know they listen to that, you could be like, this is your ship and this is the crew attached to the ship. And then you could track someone's career progression. So that way you don't have uh, continuity issues. That would be huge. Cause I mean, I've seen authors that look like serial killers with their like spreadsheets pinned to walls <laughs> and strings connecting every which way. And I, I don't know if they're planning D-Day or, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> I'm pretty sure one of them is at least. I, you just, I, I could see that tool because 
that that's where it gets difficult to track. I've I've heard David Weber talk about this. Dang it, I just gave myself another show note. But where you know figuring figuring <laughs> out where each ship was and where you were. Okay, so he was a captain over here, but he got promoted over here. Like, yep, I, I, could, I could see something like that, like from a from a military. Yeah, war. but luckily for David, he has those people at Bu Nine. Sorry, sorry, Jay, <laughs> who who are obsessive enough for him that he can just relax and let them read it, and then. But but you Terry Terry and and his fans really will they are. But you have to get there first, so you have to build a career to the point where you have right. those fans, and before that, I imagine his wall looked like a serial killer's plotting ground. So I don't know. I can. Ask you should. That, that'll be one of the things we ask him if we have him on the show. But but is there anything like that that allows people? Because you know, fantasy has it too. With uh, Mark Allen Idleheit writes mil- uh, military fantasy, which is becoming a thing. So I could see where where sure. the need to track or or even cyberpunk if you're talking about companies to track someone's progression through you know a, a job for say. Well, there's actually there's three things in development that that speak to that that desire in in one way or another. Um, one of them, which will be coming out very shortly after uh, uh, the the customized story element types, is the ability to tag uh, story elements and relationships and being able to filter the display by those tags. So you'll be able to come up with your own nomenclature to flag certain things. So you could have, you know, military career as an event tag, uh, and then be able to filter the the timeline, for example, based on that or or multiple tags. So you could have military career and this character, and only those events will then be displayed in the story web. So, so that's that's the feature that will go ahead. Say, so you can build timelines for your for your world campaigns, whatever. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's one of the three display modes. We have the story web, which just basically shows you this network of association across all of the story elements in your setting. We have the living map, which is a geographic context thing. So you upload a map and then pin events and other locations on it. And then the timeline, which gives you this chronology from as far back as you want to go to as far ahead as you want to go of your world. So those are the three unique views that Archivos provides you. Now, one of the other things that we're developing is the ability to link story elements across story settings, which would would allow you to basically have a world setting that allows you to have significant historical events that are in the world, and then a separate Archivos setting for this novel or even this character's backstory and when things that that character or that story, when those things intersect with the main timeline, you can link from one to the other. So you'll literally be able to jump from one narrative arc to another and see from this 30,000 foot view how your unique, my, uh, 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 close view of your story overlays the larger worldview that you've defined in another setting. So um, – I say so. You mentioned maps as well, and that's one of the things that I was surprised in my um, my novel. The Reserve has had a map of the, the the base that they were fighting at, and that went out to and it'll go out when it goes on paper. And I was surprised at how well received that was. So so it has me thinking: hmm. are, are you able to export these maps, um, or if you had to say a professional membership, you could put a link, a hyperlink to your um, like Mark Wayne McGinnis has done to to like Archivos in your ebook. Um, yes, 
And even more so with the professional level account, uh, you can actually embed the Archivos display modes into your website. So you don't have to send people to the Archivos domain uh, uh, to get them to allow them to enjoy and explore your story in Archivos. You can define a web page in WordPress, for example, and we will just give you an embed code and you define, you know, do you want the story web? Do you want the living map? Do you want the timeline? Which, which is going to show up by default and paste that code into the WordPress page and bam, when somebody comes to that web page, there's that Archivos display for all to see. And then, yeah, put a link to that page in your ebook. You're done. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so my last question that, that has me thinking, well, you mentioned maps. So right now uh, we have a program called Campaign Cartographer 3, CC3, where you can yes. make maps. And so for space maps, you can make it three-dimensional. But when Winder tried to make a map for our universe, I think he pulled out his last remaining hair. Uh, he had to he had to regrow <laughs> the beard. It was it was horrible. He ended up in rehab for like a month. So so for your map, how um, – Only because you let him run out of crowns. Probably. So, so for your map, how does, can you tell us a little bit about, is it three-dimensional? Is it just a flat static image? Tell us. It's a flat static image at this point. It's, it's, it's an image that you, we upload JPEGs, PNGs, or GIFs. uh, And that image then becomes the bed upon which you pin other story elements from your story into that map. So it's, it's definitely not, uh, uh, a, 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 an innovation in that regard. Uh, but that doesn't mean we are not constantly looking for ways to create a more, you know, Google Maps vibe to it or the ability to incorporate a third dimensional perspective into that. That's just, we, we need to pick our battles, JR. That's just how it, mm. how software development works, right? So could you upload, say, with other programs into that then? Like maybe upload from CC3, their map feature that gives you that uh, yeah. interaction piggyback together? Or I don't know what would be involved in that. Mm. So you could tell me to shut up at any time. Yeah, go ahead and shut up right now. Um, <laughs> I can tell you how I do it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you you can export from Campaign Cartographer, but but and and Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. You export to a conventional media format and then upload it into Archivos, right? Right, right. So I yeah. that's what I do. I build my maps in advance. Um, I usually build in a way more uh, points, like maybe little cities and villages and rivers and <laughs> stuff like that. And then as my story develops, I start tagging things. Oh, I need uh, I need him to go somewhere important. I'll use this city that which I've already placed on the map. I'll tag it as this name, and then add the element in, into Archivos and mark it as a as a place that he knows, and put an event there and and tie it all together. But yeah, dude, there you go. building a map in advance with enough places, way more than you need, is probably the key. And I use Campaign Cartographer for that. Then I upload it. Yep. Yeah, I just use Archivos to to start putting, you know, pinning places uh, of importance. Yeah. Murder yeah. I, I think that that's very much the 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 process or or the 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 way to use it at this point. That's not to say that won't evolve with time, but I, I think Chris's Chris's tactic is is exactly how we envision uh, people using it. There, there's going to be some source of maps. It might be just something scrawled on a paper napkin. That's all you need to start off with. Uh, and you can always update and change the background map. It might require a little adjustment of the pins 
uh, uh, to align correctly, but we're not going to lock you in. Nope, this is the only map you're ever going to be able to use. You can always swap out those maps for an upgrade if you want to. So is there any, because I'm thinking, you know, RPGs was, was the angle because that ties into the fan angle. Mm-hmm. And there are various levels of graphicness when it comes to RPGs, whether depending on the age of the players, is there any way on your site uh, t- to, to keep it so you can control as a parent what your kids see? Because I don't know, like if everybody's interface is different or is this like the website where once somebody uploads it, anybody can find it. Does that make sense? Well, it's so we have like exposing teenagers to the 50 shades of gray meets dungeons and dragons. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying. And, and you know, this, this environment, this industry that, that Archivos has moved into is fraught with all manner of legal peril. Uh, you know, we're doing, we're effectively, you know, the potential for fan fiction. It's basically a wiki, uh, so there's all of the fair use doctrine uh, that comes into play. And as you observe, there's also parental restrictions and so on and so forth. We basically have taken the attitude, at least initially, until we can start uh, defining some more robust age gating features into the app. Uh, when you try and make something public, uh, we require you to affirm uh, that the content in this thing is appropriate for ages 13 and up. Uh, and if it is not, then we ask that you don't share it. And, you know, I, I, and then we monitor and police and rely on our users to affirm that yes, indeed people are adhering to that. Uh, and, and, you know, at this point it's, it's the bare legal minimum of what's required. It's not that we don't take that very seriously, it's it's just as I say. There's there's levels of development that need to be addressed. Uh, so the the age gating techniques uh, are very much in our roadmap. We want to make that more robust so that our our users that write erotica, for example, can feel comfortable uh, uh, building their story settings and even sharing them with confidence that their their content is not getting into the wrong. Yeah, and then you've got to balance that against the uh, not wanting to censor people. So find a way to let them censor themselves exactly. would be the ideal, where they can where they can tag right. it. And, and that's it's a funny way. I just was thinking because if you're gonna you know let kids. Use this for your DM campaign. You, you want to know at some level that it's safe. That it's safe, absolutely, and that the content they're being uh, uh, that parents, if parents give the green light for their for their child to work in this, uh, and like as as I say, we make it clear that you know we're we're definitely PG thirteen is where we're at, uh, and if that's acceptable to you for your child to be engaged with Archivos, then you should feel confident uh, that we will ensure that environment for them. So, uh, if not, then at this point, we, we suggest that you don't use it. Uh, we, we, we simply can't monitor and, and ensure that level of security. We will with time. Uh, but for now, we're, we're kind of uh, still in development as far as that well, goes. Well, we've talked tons about the program, which is great. But we haven't said where to find said program. <laughs> Maybe I think we should cover where do we find Archivos? What a lovely question, Cisco. Thank you so much for asking that. Uh, you can find Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. 
uh, www.archivos.digital. That will take you to the home site. Uh, if you're already a subscriber, you can log in directly from there. If you want to sign up, you're welcome to do so as well. Sign up at the basic account. Do not give us money initially. Yes, that's right. I said it. Don't do it. Uh, get the basic account, which is absolutely free, and start playing around in the environment and seeing what's there, seeing if this interface and the way that we've organized it actually helps inspire you to explore your stories more robustly and more intimately. And if it does, then awesome. You can always upgrade your account and downgrade your account to a personal or professional level at any time. Okay, uh, so enough about your stuff. Uh, shameless plugging is over. What are you reading in the sci-fi genre, if anything? Uh, what am I reading in the sci-fi genre? That's an excellent question. Um, he says as he pauses for time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's stalling gracefully and then casting about. Um, dot, dot, dot. Holy smokes. Well, and here's the thing, and, and this is, this is uh, uh, embarrassing to admit. Um, my story consumption patterns have been deeply disrupted by, you know, I, I hate to go back to Archivos, but it's, it's deeply disrupted by Archivos and other factors in my life. Honestly, I'm going to have to say uh, my steady income of, of sci-fi goodness continues to be uh, Escape Pod, okay. uh, the uh, science fiction audio fiction podcast. Uh, uh, and they consistently have uh, superb stories, uh, rarely longer than 45 minutes tops, uh, and, uh, excellent narrators, uh, of which I am, but one of a, of a, of a veritable cornucopia of incredible voice performers, vocal performers in that, in that canon. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say check out escapepod.net, uh, uh, and, and find some awesome sci-fi okay. out there. All right. What about you? Uh, I actually just finished. Alpha reading a short story for an anthology. Um, are we talking about that anthology? Yeah, I, I published a, a okay. website. We're good. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, the storm, <laughs> <laughs> the storm area fifty one anthology. I uh, just finished reading a sci fi short, his first sci fi short story, and his first short story, I think, by Robert Ross for it. So he normally mm. writes fantasy, but he uh, he knows Jr. Is sci-fi so he decided to <laughs> try to make him happy <laughs> I don't know why they still love he's, he's got a and we're trying to make him happy okay <laughs> I don't know why they still Winder's gonna have fun wow. editing that one didn't see that coming <laughs> alright Winder I have the animal noises I can insert in those spots <laughs> quack quack alright Chris what are you reading <laughs> Uh, I'm still trying to finish your book, The Reservist. Um, I've just been swamped with work, so I haven't allowed myself any any downtime recently. But I got about uh, uh, I'm about halfway through. Okay. And what about you, Jr.? So I've been reading uh, a lot of the submissions for the anthologies that I'm hosting because Bayonet Books, which is the uh, publishes as feature that my my own writing comes. Uh, because life has gotten in the way uh, with special needs kids, I've slowed down some this year. So I was like, well, I've got to do something for proof of life. So I decided to host, because I'm insane, uh, a couple of um, <laughs> anthologies. So we have three of them in the works. One of them uh, is the Storming Area 51 set to launch the day they're supposed to be there. Um, 
hopefully it will not be black, uh, whatever September 20th is, uh, day of the week, and, and nobody dies. But yeah, so I've been reading a lot of a lot of short stories, uh, and then I just got uh, the latest audiobook from uh, Mark Allen Idleheit. So when I when I'm not reading sci-fi and I need a break, that's that's my go-to uh, uh, binging. That's, that's my palate cleanser. So he's basically I don't know if you've if you've heard his books, uh, Dave, but I think you dig them. It's basically what would happen if you took the Roman Legion and set it smack dab in the middle of Middle Earth. Oh my God, <laughs> that's <sounds> epic. <laughs> What's what's the title and the author again? Uh, Mark Allen Idleheit, and it's the Steiger's Tigers. Uh, official series is like the Chronicles of an Imperial Legionary Officer, I think is the first series. But Steiger's Tigers will find you all of his stuff. Yeah. Nice. And he's a super sweet, nice guy. He, is, he used to be awesome. a history teacher and a podcaster. So you know he's awesome because podcasters are great. And right. he did a history one, so he definitely has his history details right. I was going to say, if 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 he had a little theater background, he'd really be just checking all the damn boxes. So I don't know. He does he does panels at Dragon Con. That can be theater. Totally. <laughs> so he <laughs> has a, a actual helmet. It's a reproduction, but it's a helmet from a legionnaire, like the uh, the helmet they wear. So every time he wow. does a live show, I goad him into putting it on. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter whose live show it is. <laughs> if he's it's relevant or appropriate. Show, yeah, if he's in the live show, I'm like, you can put the helmet on again. <laughs> put, put the helmet on. But we're talking about the current political climate. Yeah, I know, I know. Just put the helmet on, dude. No, it does not matter. We're talking about Dragon Con on Fantasy Live. <laughs> helmet, 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 helmet. Okay, helmet. <laughs> I, I, if we ever if he he has a sci-fi series he keeps talking about writing if we ever do i'm betting jr is going to want to live feed that one just so that we can have see he we can verify whether or not he's wearing an helmet <laughs> so i actually well, and you know Luke, go ahead I was to say, I actually commissioned a helmet based on the Galaxy's Edge because I was such a nerdy fanboy. Uh, a helmet from uh, the Iron Forge Orlando. It's a great company if you need uh, costuming uh, helmets. But he's actually making me a helmet based on that. So if he does, I'll wear my helmet and then he can wear his. Oh, good Lord, yes. That's awesome. God. I, I, I'm pictures. Pictures or it didn't happen. <laughs> I, I actually have a buddy of mine that I deployed with who now works in installing call radios, and he thinks maybe he could make that helmet interactive so like he could plug a boom mic or something into it, and then, and then it would be awesome. Oh, man. You'd never, awesome you'd, you'd never get out of it. You'd be the guy in the <laughs> Galaxy Edge helmet taking a bath. Pro- probably. Like, take off the helmet. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, but then we can finally take pictures of you because you have no face. Have you seen my stapler? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Winder, save me from myself. Next question is yours. All right. Well, so finally, we like to remember the science that makes science fiction fun, but we're pre-recording this way in advance because Dave has his uh, super secret Illuminati club meetings to work around. <laughs> so instead, I'll ask him what book he'd love to narrate the most. Oh, dream big. <sighs> okay. Um, probably anything. I oh, see. You, don't make me pick a kid. It's not my favorite kid, man. You can't make me do that. Um, okay, anything by Neil Gaiman, anything by Elmore Leonard, anything by um, Robert B. Parker, uh, and Elmore Leonard and Robert B. Parker are probably very similar. Uh, uh, but there is, you know, first of all, the the lyrical beauty of any Gaiman novel, just the way the guy does word sex is inspired uh and and i would love to uh, i actually did an audition they were holding this public audition for uh 
for one of one of their one of his audio books. I forget which one. Uh, and I submitted, and it was a popularity contest, and I didn't know enough people, so blah blah blah. But I had a chance to actually narrate some Neil Gaiman as a part of that audition, and it was it was wonderful. It was delicious. So that uh, and Elmore Leonard and Robert B. Parker are both uh, uh, detective, uh, true not true crime, but crime uh, or detective fiction authors. And the noir landscape is a place that I just love. Uh, so yeah, those those those. That's my answer. I'm sticking to it. Outstanding. So, uh, and for the rest of us, if we could pick who would we want to narrate our stuff? And yes, Siska, since we've got that super secret project you're writing a story for that we just blabbed about, um, you get to answer too. So we'll start with you. If you had anyone narrate the story you're writing, who would it be? We're starting with me. Yes. Veronica, I'm saving me for myself. She's a Yes, thank you. Yeah. Okay. I've actually bought books that aren't in my genre just because she narrated them because I like her. I think she does a good job. <laughs> I, I love her voice, but I think the main character that I've been writing, she would do really well with. Veronica can melt chocolate with her voice. I've seen it happen. <laughs> yes, but I, I will say this, and it's a little off topic. It's hilarious that you said noir because um, your voice reminds me of Griffin Barber's. And one second. And um, he writes noir. He's I'll in the noir that. fatality. <laughs> fatality fit. Anthol- noir fatal anthology. I can speak, maybe. <laughs> All right. What about you, uh, Winder? Who would you have narrate if you could pick anybody to narrate yourself? I would have Gabriel Iglesias narrate Ooh, myself. Nice. He has such a range, and he's he has such comedic timing and talent. Absolutely. Uh, Gabriel Iglesias. It's a good answer. Did not see that one coming either. All right. <laughs> what about you, Jay? So I would pick Samuel L. Jackson for my military sci-fi motherfracker. <laughs> oh, God. I could totally hear him doing right? that. Right? <laughs> or, or, it sounds angry the whole time. Or the other one would be, if you ever get a chance <laughs> and your kids are not in the room, listen to Gilbert Gottfried narrating Fifty Shades. Oh, God. <laughs> You'll, have You'll have nightmares for weeks. Well, and and I will say wow. I, I have not written, obviously, uh, uh, but if I did, I would write a story that would allow uh, Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry to narrate the audio book. Uh, Ooh, that's yeah. my pick. Okay. All right. So as we bring this to a close, Dave, uh, can you tell listeners how they can find you? Absolutely. Uh, once again, to find Archivos, www.archivos.digital. Uh, you can find the Twitter feed for Archivos on Twitter at Archivos Stories. Likewise, on Instagram, uh, I exist out there on the Twitters and on the Facebooks. Uh, uh, Dave Robinson TN, I think, is my Twitter handle. And uh, you can just find me in the DRS uh, uh, stream somewhere or just search for Dave Robinson out on Facebook. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think those are probably the best places to, to hunt me down out in the world. Okay. And what about us, Chris? How can listeners find us? Our website is www.sfshenanigans.com. Our Twitter handle is at SFS, that's Sierra Foxtrot Sierra underscore show. Our email is podcast at sfshenanigans.com. And our Facebook group is facebook.com slash groups slash sfshenanigans. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the uh, 
in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.